The Daisy Chain podcast is proudly supported by Personal Farewells, proudly family-owned and operated independent funeral directors located in Sydney. My name is Emma. I own the Daisy Chain and run music and movement programs for aged care and disability facilities. I'm going to share how to find fun, purpose and connection in that stage of life that others think is boring, dull and pointless. If you would like to know how we shine a light on the fun, vibrant, full lifestyles of the aged care residents and disability clients, stay with me as I share the stories of human connection. Hello, this is Emma from the Daisy Chain podcast and today I am here with Rachel Smith who I discovered through her beautiful Instagram profile, Minding My Mother. Welcome, Rachel. Thanks for joining us. Hi, Emma. Thanks. How are you today? I'm good, thanks, good. although it's night. Yeah, so it's still it's still Friday there. It is, yeah. <laughs> Whereabouts are you? Um, I'm on the East Coast in North Carolina of Excellent. the U.S., Beautiful. So is it, what season are we going into? Spring. That's correct. Yeah. Yeah. Are so is it warming up? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So it's it is up. finally nice outside yeah. to sit on the deck, take daily walks. It's nice. Yeah. That's nice. Does it get hot? Um, it gets pretty sweltering yeah. in the summer. Yeah. yeah. And then freezing cold in winter or is it still quite mild? It's mild. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's probably like Sydney. Like Sydney doesn't get freezing, it doesn't snow, but summer can be pretty hot and humid, unfortunately. But, um, yeah, it's beautiful. Sun's out today, so that's a good start. So we met through your Instagram page. Can you just give me a bit of a, a, bit of a synopsis of what that is and why it exists and, um, you know, the purpose of the, the Instagram profile? Sure. So... I started an Instagram uh, called Minding My Mother, specifically for all things dementia. Um, My mom was diagnosed with dementia in October 2020. And that was, as you know, um, kind of at the start of the pandemic. And uh, there was just, it was a lot. It was a lot after that. And Uh, My mom came to the U.S. She was living her retirement life in the Dominican Republic. She came back to the U.S. in March of 2021, so about a year ago, uh, to get a bunch of health issues taken care of. And kind of overnight, I saw myself become a caregiver, not realizing that her dementia had progressed in ways that I hadn't noticed over the phone. And I created this private section on my personal Instagram page just to kind of vent about dementia. And 21, 2021 was the hardest year of my life. It was, it was so difficult with everything going on with my mom and my dog also had dementia. (laughs) Um, And my mom had surgeries. It was just so difficult. And I was at my ultra lowest point. Um, And I said, and I started seeing other people on my private Instagram that were talking about dementia. And I thought, you know, I need to just make the switch. I just need to go all in and start sharing my tips and learning more tips from other people caregiving for loved ones with dementia and other dementia experts. 
so I created the page early this year in 2022, and it's called Minding My Mother because uh, I guess the definition of to mind or the verb of minding is to pay attention to, to look after, um, to heed or feel concerned for. And I kind of feel like I want to do all of those things with my mom. I want to pay attention to her. She's still my mom. Yep. Um, I'm going to listen to her, but also I am looking after her and I do feel concerned for her and her diagnosis. Beautiful. I love, I love that you've looked at the, the meaning of the word. And obviously it's not just something that you've, it's not just a word that you've picked. There's, there's a reason for it. So, and, and I, like you said before, it's, I think one of the things when we talk about dementia or caring for someone with dementia is that there's a lot of, you know, one day at a time, the sun's going to come up again tomorrow. You just got to be positive. And some days it's shit. And I I think it's, it's really important that you've got a place to express that and to say it and to not, not feel like you need people to go, it's okay tomorrow. Tomorrow's another day. It's going to be fine tomorrow. It might not be fine tomorrow. Tomorrow might be horrible too. Um, And I think that it's really important that we have a safe place that we can express that and feel heard without being judged and trying to be made to feel better. Absolutely. The dementia Instagram and from what I understand, the TikTok community uh, is incredible. I'm not on TikTok, but um, these are my people and these are my only people. Other than my husband, my Instagram friends on my dementia account are, are everything. Like I get through the day with them and I, I like to think that they get through the day with all of us. Yeah. There is no in-person community of a bunch of dementia caregivers. Yeah. Isn't it incredible that, you know, I think that's one of the biggest things that's come out of the pandemic and being disconnected is it's the blessing is that it's forced people to find other ways to connect. Uh, and, you know, the, the fact that we can do interviews via Zoom, I can run classes via Zoom. And I did a class last week where some of the participants couldn't come because they usually walk and it was raining. So we just jumped on Zoom and I did partly live and partly Zoom and they were still able to connect with each other. That would never have happened if we hadn't had the last two years. So it's definitely something amazing that's come from it. So thank you for today. I think this is a really important topic that we're going to discuss. Um, And the topic is why I am not parenting my parent. Um, And we've got some different points to go through. I'll just break down the four main areas that we're going to discuss, um, which is firstly the definition of parent, what the word means, what that um, entails, Uh, the sacredness of being a parent, the stigmas around dementia, which I think is a really important thing to cover, and um, just just the awareness of the differences between parenting and caregiving. So we're going to cover those today. So let's start with, uh, actually, before we do that, let's just give a little bit of, of your background and how you came to this point with, with your mom, if that's okay. Sure. So uh, uh, I live in North Carolina with my husband and two dogs. Um I work at a university here in environmental toxicology. And in 2018, 
my mom retired and moved to the Dominican Republic with her partner. Um, it was always her dream to live on the beach and only wear flip-flops. So she moved from the middle of the U.S., where she'd lived her entire life, to a Spanish-speaking Caribbean island. Wow. Um, and so I didn't see her a whole lot at first. And then especially once the pandemic hit, um, travel was obviously difficult. But I did start to notice, even before she moved to the Dominican, some strange behaviors and just kind of some turn of phrase that were out of character for her. And then I kind of started to notice some short-term memory loss, like 2018, 2019. And uh, my her, her, her dad, my grandpa had Alzheimer's and, but he was pretty old. He was in his eighties when he developed it. And my mom was in her mid sixties. Um, and I, and I tried to talk to her about it for over a year saying, mom, you know, maybe it might help just to get checked out. I don't really know anything about it or what they could find or what they could do, but you know, your dad did have it like, yeah, you know, I don't know, let's check it out. And she was opposed to it at first. And then in 2020, she was back in the U.S. because actually her partner's son had passed away. So they had to come back to the U.S. And uh, she said, yeah, well, maybe. Yeah, I, you know, I do feel like I can't remember words. I, you know, I, I keep forgetting words. So I took her into a place that I knew was great for uh, people with neurocognitive disorders. and. And it came back saying she had at least mild dementia. That's kind of really all, yeah. um, you know, further assessment and review is needed. Um, what else did you ask? <laughs> <laughs> Just about the background of your mom, how you, how you came to this point and how, I guess, you made the decision that you were going to be her caregiver. Okay. So was sure. it, was so it then, a decision? So about uh, six months went by. Um, since then, she went back to the DR and she she just had a bunch of older age medical issues come up, um, probably like starting at the time she moved down there. But the pandemic exacerbated it and also living in a country where there isn't great medical care. Um, she just wasn't able to get seen for arthritic issues and like a weird skin condition she had going on, kind of just all these random things. And it got to the point where she was just miserable. So she said, I'm, I'm going to come up there in, in March. I've got to, I've got to see somebody about my hip and this and that. Um, so I started researching doctors for her to see my husband and I sold and bought a new house that would accommodate for her and her spouse if they needed to be here long term. So she came up in March right when we bought our new house and it was just very clear to me that she wasn't managing day to day the way I had remembered her. Um, she was just having a lot of issues with kind of what we call executive 
functioning skills, executive level tasks, where you have to plan and organize and remember multiple things, um, you know, making doctor's appointments and remembering that you've already done something or you've already bought something or remembering to pay your bills. And I'm noticing deficits in all these areas and uh, went to two doctor's appointments with her and quickly realized, wow, she doesn't, she needs help in these areas. Um, so I really just felt like that was what the definition of a caregiver was. I've already been reading every dementia book and scientific article, by the way, since the diagnosis. Like I pour myself into information whenever I can. It's like my coping mechanism. So I've already totally familiarized myself. I'm like semi-expert on dementia and <laughs> in my brain. And um and so I'm like, yeah, okay, this is what I'm doing. I'm caregiving. And then she had two major surgeries over the summer, uh, which you know doesn't doesn't help when you have a neurocognitive brain disorder. Um, general anesthesia can cause temporary and permanent decline. And then just her not being mobile and just kind of having pain and taking pain meds, like all that is bad for somebody who has dementia. Um Things were getting really tough for me. Like I said before, I got really low for a while. It was just too much. It was really hard. My mom's behavior was becoming very aggressive, agitated, mean. It was very difficult. Um, and we had a plan for her to go back to the DR in September. And then her spouse suddenly died in oh the Dominican goodness. Republic um, on September 1st, 2021. He died of a heart attack and whoa, our lives were turned upside down. Um, this means she's not going back to the DR. She doesn't have a place to live. She'd already sold her 65 years worth of stuff when she moved to another country. She's basically homeless, spouseless, recovering from surgeries and in this early dementia diagnosis. Um, so it got even harder. And uh, through that, through that time, that's when I started my Instagram page to start connecting with more caregivers, um, knowing that my mom was going to be with me full time and continue to need help. Yeah. So was that, and if you don't want to answer this question, it's fine. Um, was there a decision where you had to sit down and speak with your husband and discuss whether this was you know, like we can do this or we can do that? Or was it, was there never any choice in your mind that this was the option that you would be taking? So that's a really good question uh, because a lot of people have opinions. Um, about <laughs> a lot of people do have opinions and like yeah, to share about, them. <laughs> about caring, um, about caregiving. You know, I've had people tell, tell me this isn't your responsibility. Um. And I'm kind of like, well, whose is it? Mm. So am I just going to, what, like, was she's going to wander around the streets? I mean, I, I, like, I just can't even fathom how I don't have a responsibility in it. Yeah. Um, so in a way, yes, it was just kind of like, well, duh, this is happening. 
But also, yeah, I did have a conversation with my husband. I mean, we decided to buy this house knowing that eventually her disease is going to progress to a point where she can't care for herself and we're going to need a better setup to do that. Yeah. Um, because the healthcare system in the US and caring for retired people is a joke and it's really expensive for people to live in memory care and assisted living facilities. Yeah. Yeah, that that yeah, it's the same here. It's it's crazy. And and it's confusing and it's not it's not yeah, simple it's not and it's yeah, it, it, I spoke with a friend the other day who's both of her parents have just moved into a facility and I mean she looked she was exhausted. She was drained. She was stressed. She was emotional. She was, you know, it's really confronting and it's all consuming for the period leading up to it. And then obviously there's all the emotions that go with it, the guilt, the, you know, all of that, that stuff that happens. Uh, but yeah, it's confusing. There's no, there's no step-by-step process. It's, it seems like there's lots of different people that can give you advice. We really just need someone to say, here's your 10 things you need to do, tick them off. Um, right. But it doesn't seem to happen like that. And there's so many, so many different, there's almost too much help that becomes overwhelming that it, yeah, it just makes it even more confusing and it's already stressful enough. Um, so let's get on to uh, what, what's the definition of parent, of the word parent? And I know you love researching in words. So <laughs> I know that you would have a great definition of parent or parenting. Um, yeah. So I, well, okay. So as a former biologist, I, the, the definition of a parent is an organism that produces or generates, um, I am not a parent myself. Um, I know that I am not producing. I haven't produced anything and I'm not generating a beautiful life for anyone. Um, But I do find that there's like a sacredness to being a parent. And although I'm not a parent, I know how to be parented and I know what it's like to have parents. Um, And I say all this because I see, okay, let me disclaimer for a moment. I just want to say that this opinion here that I'm sharing today is of my own and does not represent all caregivers or even any other caregivers or any experts in the field of dementia. I'm just, I see a deficit and I, in dementia awareness, and I want to bring attention to it. And um, it's just an opinion of my own. And I'd also like to say, just for people who don't know, because there does seem to be a pretty big lack in dementia understanding and awareness, that dementia is an umbrella term for multiple neurodegenerative brain diseases, such as Alzheimer's, frontotemporal, Lewy body, mixed dementia, vascular dementia. So every type of dementia is different, has their own symptoms. And then every person who gets that different type of dementia is going to react differently 
to having that disease. So everybody's journey with dementia and everybody's caregiving journey with dementia is so different. And my journey and my experience has what's shaped my individual opinion and thoughts about how I think about dementia. So uh, getting back to um, the definition of a parent, um, I say all that because one thing I hear a lot on other dementia podcasts and on Instagram and, and even in reading material is that it's people say, I feel like I'm parenting my parent. Um, or people say, oh, gosh, it sounds like you're caring for a child or a toddler. And uh, I just really take issue with that. Um, I, I think that it's, I think that there's a role reversal, certainly, that's there when you're caring for your parent who has dementia. Um, but that role reversal is there when you're caring for your aging parent, no matter they have dementia or not. Like, you know, when you're an adult child, you come to a point where you say, dad, you shouldn't be climbing on the ladder anymore. Um, there's a role reversal, but I don't, I don't equate caregiving with parenting. And I think that we're doing a disservice to the neurocognitive health community and the dementia community by using this language. And I think that, I, I think that um, it's easy to just kind of equate caregiving to parenting. Um, it's an easy comparison because it may be the closest pursuit to caregiving, but there are far more differences than similarities when it yeah. comes to parenting and caregiving. And I think that, I think that as far as raising awareness for dementia and, and the diseases that, that cause dementia, um, like, we're not getting anywhere by using that language. Um, in or so, the ultimate goal, right, with dementia is to eliminate it. It sucks. It's a it's a terrible, disgusting disease. So we need to find a cure and or treatment, and we need to fully understand the neurodegenerative diseases that cause dementia. So in order to do that, we need more funding worldwide in every country. And to get funding, we need to raise more awareness. And we aren't raising awareness about dementia when we're comparing caring for an adult with dementia to raising a child. Yeah, I think that we need to be highlighting the differences between the two in order to raise awareness. And I think that people kind of default to comparing it because it feels comfortable. And dementia is uncomfortable, right? Like there's so many unknowns, so many misunderstandings about dementia in the general public. So it's, it's uncomfortable and people don't like to be uncomfortable. People 
When they're fearful, they just want to talk about something that they're familiar with. Um, and everybody's familiar with parenting. Like everybody has kids, you know, it's completely normal. Um, but I think that we need to get uncomfortable. And I think we need to talk about dementia so it becomes comfortable, so it becomes less stigmatized, so people understand what dementia is, what it isn't, and what we in the dementia community need, because we need a lot. We need a lot of help. Um, and so I just, like, I, I want to be sensitive to the fact that I know there are a lot of people who use that language. You know, I feel like I'm parenting my parent. Um, and that may be how you feel, like, with your parent and dementia. Um, I don't feel that way at all. Like, with the symptoms that my mom has and her kind of anger and agitation and hostility sometimes, like, I don't feel yeah, like I got a loving mother. Um, and the thing is, like, I don't, I don't want to be my mom. Like, I don't want to be parenting my mom. Um, my mom already had a mom and she was rad. Um, she doesn't need another one. She needs a partner to help her as she tries to navigate the world with a degenerative brain disease. And I'm proud to call myself my mom's daughter. Like my mom is amazing. She's an amazing woman. I'm proud to be her daughter. I, I don't want to be anything but her daughter. I'm, I'm not parenting her. I'm, I'm partnering with my mom yeah. through this journey. That's, that's really powerful because it's, I think like you well, I totally agree that when we, when we make it normal or comfortable, then we actually don't need to push into question and to, and you know, they're, they're, it's, it's just part of life. You know, you start this way, right. you start as a child, you become an adult and then you go back to being a child. Um, and, and it actually gave me goosebumps when you just talking about that, because it's something that, you know, I go into a lot of different aged care facilities and, you know, dementia support units. And I hear it all the time, whether it's staff or, families visiting it's just you know this is part of life you know mum looked after me now it's my turn to look after her um and yeah i i think what you just said is is super powerful that that's actually holding us back from saying this isn't okay like we need to find prevention cure ways to manage it uh you know there's how come in the space of two or three months of a pandemic we can have a vaccination that that helps to control and eliminate because it's a problem. This is just something that we've now accepted and it's not a problem enough because it, like you said, it's normal and it's, it's accepted that that's what's going to happen. Um, right. And, and I guess people, people say it's like parenting because there are, when you, you know, if you've got someone living with you that you need to, care for there are certain tasks within your day that might be similar and I, I guess we're going to come you know we're going to discuss that a little bit later but that's why people give it that label is because that that makes it easier in their brain to to 
equate to it. And and like you said before, everyone's journey is different. Everyone's way of dealing with it is different. Uh, the other thing that's come up for me while talking is that, and this is something that's popped up in literally every podcast interview that I've done is, and it doesn't matter what we've been talking about, whether we've been talking about planning funerals, disabilities, uh, living with a child with disabilities, all of it, it's that the fact that we're not prepared for something with enough time until it happens and then we're dealing with it with emotions Um, rather than being educated, having the knowledge that we need when we're uh, calm and unemotional and logical and you know when when our emotions are high, our intelligence is generally low, and vice versa. So you get to the situation that you found yourself in, and then, like you said, you hit a really low point because your emotions take over. Uh, it feels like your world's crashing in around you. So the logical part of your brain doesn't function as well, and the emotions kick in and take over. And then you're then we're in fight or flight mode, and it's just you know just got to get through. Um, instead of, you know, being able to think things through logically and clearly. Because if you knew 20 years ago that this was going to happen, there would have been certain things that you would have had to put in place and plan for and, and educate yourself rather than squeezing it into a short period of time and becoming overwhelmed and emotional. Right. And honestly, my mom has a rarer form of dementia that um, affects people at younger ages, it can affect people as young as 30. And uh, in hindsight, it's, it's likely that she's had this disease for about 10 years. And so even just looking back 10 years, right, like in my mom planning for her future and, and putting things in place and getting me educated and me getting educated, like, we wouldn't have even been able, I mean, it would have been difficult to do because she's been progressively living with this disease for years yeah. now. Um, but you said something that made me think how important it is with people living with disabilities, people uh, caring for adult children living with disabilities and people who have neurocognitive disorders um we just i just think we need to be more i think we need to be more inclusive and considerate with the language we use and we just in general need to normalize all of this um it's it's so normalized in every work environment i've ever been in for parents to be able to just take off early because there's parent teacher conferences yeah or their child had has a fever and has to be picked up from school. But, uh, you know, it's very I even feel uncomfortable in my workplace with full of kind of open minded scientists um, saying, you know, I, I can't I, I got to just take four hours off right now all of a sudden because there's a crisis in my mom's world and I need to help her. Um, and just like normalizing that there are so many, there are there are millions of us living out there with these non-average lives with, you know, husband, wife, or two parents and three kids. I mean, people caring for people in different scenarios. I, I just I just hope that we can eventually 
be more considerate of how we talk about it and talk about it in general and not be uncomfortable talking about it. Yeah. And you brought up a comparison between parenting and caregiving. And I don't remember what it was now, but it was really good when you said it. (laughs) (laughs) Hold on. Was it about the tasks that are involved? Yes. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Um, So I do have a whole bunch of opinions on um, differences yet similarities. Yeah. um, If you want to get into that. Yeah, let's do it. Because one of the things on the, on the, I guess the, the, what we're going to discuss is the people being aware of the differences and the similarities. So that's, yeah, I think that's really important. And, and like I said, I guess that's why some people think it is parenting because, you know, whether it's helping support feed someone or, or, you know, decide what clothes to wear for the day. Um, So yeah, hit me, hit us with some differences and similarities and and I guess why the similarities are similar, but they're actually different. (laughs) Oh, well, I don't know if I can go that deep, but <laughs> yeah, we can. <laughs> I will say, like, again, this is really I just want people to understand this is this is like really coming from my um my like awareness heart and my um activist self. And and also that like caring for being care partner to or caregiver to someone living with dementia is incredibly difficult and it becomes 24 7. it becomes a 24 7 365 job and millions of at least americans are doing this completely unpaid or completely putting their lives on hold to do this um so I forgot the point I was making. Cut this out. That you're you're coming from your own place of awareness. um, And that that everyone's journey is different, I guess, is where we were, where you were heading. Right. So the the thing, so as it's already so difficult to to do this and just just the the physical and the mental toll it takes on you, um, but also just like watching someone you love literally lose their mind is incredibly hard. And then when I have to take the time to explain to somebody what the disease is, it honestly pisses me off. And I'm not like mad at the person. I'm just mad at the system. I'm just mad at society. Like, again, we need to normalize this. We need people to understand what dementia is. I don't want to, I shouldn't have to explain this to you. It's, it's not stigmatized. You didn't do anything wrong. You know, it's not like you smoked five packs of cigarettes a day for five decades. And we, you, you did, you did that wrong. Now you have lung cancer. I mean, people don't do things wrong to get dementia. It, it's just, unfortunately, something that happens to some people. And, I just don't, I don't like having to explain to people what it is and why it's happening. And I just wish people knew. So um, I guess the thing to start is with parenting, I feel like parenting is very integrating. Like 
you have kids and you are immediately integrated into so many groups and communities, right? Like, okay, now you're, you're, if you're in a church, you get your, your child baptized or whatever your religious affiliation is, you're, you're integrated into that community. You're integrated into the preschool community. You're integrated into the children's sports community. Like you might move into a neighborhood that's more family friendly, right? Like you're immediately integrated in with the majority of the people in the entire world who have kids. Whereas with being a dementia caregiver, it's isolating. It's the opposite of integrating. Um, there, there is no community just, just there at reach like there is for parenting. Um, I can't just, you know, have my neighbor pick up my mom from her senior center um, on her way home from, you know, her mom isn't at the senior center, like, like all your kids going to the same school. Um, there's, you know, I don't want to discount or discredit the dementia Instagram community and the amazing support groups that are out there and the resources and the books that are there. But like, realistically, come on. I mean, look at the community that you have as a parent, your church community, your school community, your family, your siblings, and they have kids. Like there's, there's always people at reach that you can integrate with and feel comfortable with and find your people. And let's just say you have an emergency if you're a parent, like, Whatever your spouse is in an accident, you have a uh, ruptured gold kidney or something, uh, you know, just like some random emergency. At any given moment, you could ask pretty much anyone to watch your children. Yeah, like it wouldn't be your first choice, but you could ask the neighbor. Yeah, or the other neighbor because they probably had kids or they had grandkids or or they have kids or they have a niece and nephew. Like you could ask pretty much anybody if you needed to in an emergency to watch your children and they would be fine for six hours. Um, it's like near impossible to find someone to care for and sit with your loved one with dementia, even if you're trying to plan it three months in advance. Like there are not enough people who are trained in dementia care and who are trained in the specific different types of dementia, um, who, you, who you could leave your loved one with. It, it, I mean, your loved one with dementia could be having hallucinations, delusions, um, not, not know how to toilet. And your average person does not know, is not capable of managing that level of care with an adult. That's, you know, could be larger than you. Um, so I just, I just, when I think about like the care that you can have if you're a parent and the care that you don't have when you're a caregiver, it's just, it's to me, it's just so clear isolating versus integrating. And I saw this news clip 
on like Vox or something. I don't know what it was. It it was a group. It was probably six months ago. It was a group of stay at home moms that all got together in a parking lot and they just screamed. And it was like, look at these moms getting together, releasing their, you know, mom energy, getting it out. And my first thought was, okay, where are my caregivers at? Which parking lot are we going to? Um, But then I thought about it and I was like, I don't know any caregiver that could just meet up on a Tuesday night in a parking lot and scream. Like the, the amount of work you have to do to leave your house for any amount of time, especially when your loved one with dementia is in moderate to severe stages, like that's not happening. We're mostly not, we're most likely not meeting up in a parking lot to scream, even if it's planned for two months, yeah. because something is going to come up. And then the other thing I thought about is I get it. Like I don't have kids. I'm not a parent, but I'm an empathetic human being and I understand the world. And I can understand that this pandemic has been difficult on parents and having children go to school from home. Like I get that. And being a stay-at-home mom is an incredibly, or stay-at-home dad is an incredibly admirable thing to do. I'm not knocking that whatsoever. But I thought, okay, all of those moms are going to go home after they scream and let it out and feel better and get some camaraderie. They're going to go home and they're going to see their sweet kids' little faces and they're going to tuck them in and they're going to kiss them goodnight and they're going to say, I love you, mommy. Or they're going to make them an art project at school the next day. Or you're going to get some sort of affirmation from your child that ma- makes it all worth it, right? So caregivers, if they come home from a parking lot after screaming, there are many caregivers that are going to come home to their loved one not even knowing who they are not even being able to recognize their face or just being agitated for a reason that they can't communicate or having toileted themselves on the couch. And that's, that's nothing like parenting. That's, that's hard. Um, and I think, You know, I guess, which we 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 discussed a little bit earlier. Like, you know, there's this huge stigma around having dementia. I mean, my mom sort of understands that she has an issue with her brain, but she doesn't want to talk about it, and she doesn't want to tell anybody about it because she's a boomer. She's of the generation where you didn't talk about those kinds of things or talk about mental health and. You know, it's definitely not stigmatized to have a kid and to be a parent. Um, But like I said, I do feel like it's slightly stigmatized in my workplace. Like I just don't. I just don't feel. It doesn't feel equal to me to be a caregiver versus a parent. No. And I think I, you know, I've got experience with people with brain injuries. It's it's a hidden uh, condition, illness, you know, if someone loses their leg, it's obvious. If you were caring for someone with a, who suddenly ended up in a wheelchair, uh, the generally the people around you, people are going to drop you dinners. People are going to, 
you know, give you a massage voucher. People are going to go, oh, well, you know, what can we do to help Rachel? Suddenly she's in a position where she's got someone in a wheelchair. It, it's visual and it's obvious and people yeah. want to help. But because they can't see it and they don't understand it, which comes from, as you were saying before, the awareness and the, the exposure to it, um, because we hide it. You know, if we've got it, it's kind of similar to the journey of, you know, having a child with a disability. It's, you know, 50 years ago, no one saw people with disabilities because, uh, you know, there was there was homes or, or special right. centres where they were sent because people didn't know how to deal with it. So, you know, over time, kids are more uh, used to seeing people with, with disabilities or experienced people with disabilities at school. Um, but, yeah, if you if you your mum was suddenly in a wheelchair or, you know, your, your husband or whatever, people would rally around to help you because, you know, what a horrible situation you're in. But right. because it's hidden, Yeah, exactly. Uh, but when it's a, a brain injury or a brain condition or, a, you know, a neurological disorder or whatever, it's people don't get it because they don't see it. They don't see the consequences. They might see you at the shops with your mum and she's, you know, she's agitated, she's having a meltdown, she's overwhelmed, it's noisy, the lights are too much, the sound's too much, you know, something's not where she thought it was going to be. They don't understand and they they literally turn their backs rather mm -hmm. than want to educate themselves because it's uncomfortable, right, like we were saying before. Right. Um, and, and that's, and, and then for your, for your mum or the person that you're caring for, you know, if someone loses their leg, it's okay, my brain's going to tell me now that I need to go and get help from physiotherapists, from doctors, from I'm going to join a club for other people with disabilities. But because it's your brain, the very thing that is telling you that you can go and get help and you can go and get support and there's things you can do is the very thing that's preventing you from doing those things. Right. So, and you, you mentioned... Um, whether it's your mom or someone else you're caring for. And that's a really good point because the other, the other caregiver in the room is a caregiver to their spouse. Yeah. And they're a different group of people. I mean, in my support groups, like I go to a variety of support groups. Um, you know, I go to one specifically front for frontotemporal dementia, which is what my mom has. I have one that's specifically for daughters. And then I have one for care partners. And I never, I never hear the spouses caring for their loved ones with dementia saying they feel like they're parenting um, their, their wife of 40 yeah, years. Yeah, wow. Um, and so like I, to, to say that I'm parenting my parent is almost to me kind of feels like we're leaving out the spouses that are caring for their loved ones with dementia. Um, I mean, yeah, there's similarities, right? Like we've already discussed how there are similarities, but that's their life partner. That's their lover. That's their spouse. I mean, yeah. they would care for, I would care for my spouse in any way I needed to. And I would never feel like I'm parenting him. And the other thing is there's this whole other group of people called the sandwich generation where they're caring for their children, school-aged children, and they're also caring for their parents with dementia. Yeah. And I 
I don't know for sure, but I gather from some of my some of my friends from support groups and Instagram that they they separate those two duties. You know, one they they carry they carry different weight, they carry different meanings, um, and there's different needs. Um, so I guess what I'm saying is, to me, there is no comparison. Caregiving isn't like parenting. It's just a different thing, period. And we just need to learn that. And we need to understand that. And and we're not going to do that if we don't keep talking about what it is, what it isn't. And the thing is, is it's not always bad, right? Like, Like I said earlier, every type of dementia is different. Every person is different. Some people are very sweet and docile and giggly. Um, Some people are very verbal. Some people are nonverbal. Some people are aggressive. Some people get inappropriate and and make it difficult to be in public spaces. Um, It's not always bad, but there is this idea in caregiving or working with people who have dementia called entering their reality. And this is something that you do, uh, you know, when your loved one with dementia is having a delusion or a hallucination or they're lost in time, um, you know, they're seeing a mythical creature that's red living in the walls yeah or they think that they're talking to their next door neighbor from 1963 they think you're that neighbor and instead of telling them there is no mythical red creature living in the wall and i'm rachel your daughter and it's 2022 you just enter their reality to avoid agitation to avoid confusion frustration because honestly if you do that it's terrible for you and the person. Then you just both end up upset. Yeah. So I have no problem entering this reality. Um, And I know that a lot of really loving care partners also don't have a problem entering that reality. But the thing is, as we do that, as the disease progresses, as these strange scenarios progress and continue, we're what we're essentially doing is going to live in that dementia world quite frequently. Yeah. And we're actually losing in a way, our own reality, our own identity, our job, our friends, our social life. Whereas when you're parenting, you're, you're molding and shaping and growing this beautiful little child and you're evolving as a family and you're watching your child become more independent and you're growing as a person and as a parent. And, you know, it's, it's kind of like a flower blooming versus a flower dying, you know, like it's, it's getting better for your child. They're learning more and they're taking it in and they're seeing the world and they're understanding math. And, and my loved one with dementia is, you know, forgetting how to do the hobby they used to love and they're forgetting who people are and they're, 
you know, they're, they're losing their minds. Yeah. It just, it just made me think like, I've got two, two girls, two teenagers, um, which has its challenges. Um, <laughs> we've, been, we've been teenage girls, so we know. Um, <laughs> but something that I, you know, I've, I've said to my friends and, and people that I've worked with is that as a parent, we are, my job is to equip and set my child up for the world and for life yeah. and to give them the skills that they need to, as you said before, blossom and to, to go out into the world. And, and I know that I've, I've done a good job uh, if, you know, they can be independent and they can function by themselves and they can have conversations with people, they can get on public transport, they can cook a meal, they can hang a load of washing on the line, all of those things. So I'm, I'm you know, I'm setting them up, I'm giving them the skills to go out into the world. But it just kind of occurred to me then that as a, a caregiver, you're actually uh, doing completely the opposite. You're you're basically so so I'm I'm developing my child to go out into the world. Mm-hmm. You're actually uh, you're having to adjust your world to your the person that you're caring for, which is like as you said, completely the opposite. Yeah. And like I said, you know, it's not all bad, you know, their life is not over at a dementia diagnosis. Um, There's still many years there where you can still make memories and do beautiful things. But as you said, I'm not caring for this person to hopefully make them more independent. Like they're actually losing their independence. And that's so sad. It's horrible. It's, it's just to see that happening to someone you love is just, there's nothing like it. Yeah. Um, and I, I, I feel like I hear parents and caregivers say a similar thing, which is I wish time would stop. Um, and I feel like parents are saying that kind of from like knowing all the things you just said, knowing that they're watching their children grow and watching them become more independent and watching them learn new things. And that's really exciting. Yeah. Um, but they're, but they're saying that cause they want to hold on to this moment and they, yeah. they don't want to let their baby go, but they also do want to see them grow yeah. and become a beautiful person. Um, whereas caregivers will say, I wish I could just stop time because I just can't bear to watch my loved one decline anymore because I don't want to see the next stage. Yeah. I don't, I don't want this to be any more devastating than it is now. I don't want them to lose their ability to toilet, to feed themselves, to do things that they used to know that bring them joy. We don't want them to forget who we are. Um, you know, and, and for those who really don't know much about dementia, I mean, I, you know, there, there, there are still moments of joy in dementia. There's plenty of activities you can do with your loved one with dementia there. You can have good moments every day. If you want to, if you want to make that happen, you can do that. Um, and I do have good moments every day with my mom, multiple times a day. And I love my, I love hanging out with her. Um, but I'm not 
doing these activities with her to shape her into growing and generating a new life. I'm doing these activities to to help her get through the day. Yeah. It's a lot. Um, <laughs> just just very quickly, there, there might be people that are going to listen to this that have no experience with dementia and how it presents in different ways. So when you referenced before, you know, seeing a red um, mythical creature in the wall, for some people listening, they'll be like, whoa, like, does that happen? And I know with my nan, she had experiences like that. Um, and my mum was amazing. My nan lived in a um, an aged care facility, but my my mum and her brothers and, and all the extended family were amazing and educated themselves onto, you know, the best way to help her through those moments. And she'd have awful hallucinations. Um, you know, she was delusional towards the end of her life. And, and it's confronting and it's scary. And my mum and her brothers would leave, you know, traumatised from seeing someone that they love go through these things. Um, but they were they had done a lot of research and read a lot and, you know, like yourself, of what to do when you're in that moment and you said about entering her reality. Um, can you explain what that means for people that don't know? So so let's use the example of the red mythical creature in the wall. Uh, how do you enter her reality? What are the things that you would be saying in that situation? I'm glad you asked that because I'm realizing that I never finished saying that. <laughs> um, yeah, so I'd like to point out first that delusions and hallucinations are not uh, definitely a thing that's going to happen with everybody yeah. who has a dementia. Um, they're definitely more common in certain types of dementias. My mom does not have them, hallucinations or delusions. My mom does do this other thing, which is called confabulating, but um, she's not seeing things that aren't there. So if someone is, um, when you enter their reality, you would say, oh my gosh, are the red things scary? And if they say yes, um, you would say, gosh, that, that sounds really terrible. Do you want to go to a different room? Um, or do you want to look at the birds out the window and you kind of distract or deflect from the issue? Um, and then if they say, no, it's not scary, you can say, oh, well, tell me about them. What do they look yeah. like? I can't see them. It's so cool that you can see them, but I can't see them. And then you just have, you know, a 30 minute conversation that came up because your person had a hallucination. Um, so I'm, I'm there. I'm in that reality. I'm definitely not in my reality. I'm not thinking about my work. I'm not yeah. I'm not using functions and skills of my brain, you know, like I was not prepared for life in this yeah. to do this. Um, or if someone is remembering someone who isn't there and they think it's 1964, you know, you just, you know, they, a lot of times people will, will see dead people or they think people who've been dead for 20 years are actually alive. And you don't say, mom, those people died 20 years ago because then they grieve every and, single time yeah. you tell them that. Instead, you would say something like, you know what? I already called them. I left a message. They're probably going to call back tonight. And then, you know, unfortunately, they forget. Um, 
that you said I that. I had experience with a class where I went in one day to teach my regular class, and I generally get there early and I stay late because I like to chat. Um, and one of the one of the gentlemen was in his wheelchair, and he was asking for his wife. Uh, and you know, when's she coming to see me? When's she coming? I haven't seen her. She's meant to be here. Righty, righty, right. They like they're they're telling me that she's not here, and I think she's here, and and you know the, the poor staff they're they're understaffed. They're it's you know we're coming out of a pandemic, people are close contact, so they can't go to work. So you know the staff are torn into a million places, and I could see that this particular member of staff had clearly done everything she could in her power to help him, while still making sure that the other. 15 residents were looked after. So I said to the staff member, I said, would you, like, would it help if I took him to his room um, to look for his wife? And she said, oh, like, if you don't mind, that would be amazing. So I said, you know, come on, Bob, um, would you like me, what would you like me to do? And he said, can we go and look in my room? And I said, of course we can. So I said, I'm just, you know, I'm just going to move your wheelchair. I'm going to take the brakes off. Can you, can you take me to your room? So he took me to the room. We went in. We had a look around, and I said, "Can you see your wife? Like, she is she in here?" And he said, "No, I can't see her." And I said, "Okay, well, what would you like me to do now?" And he said, "Well, can you just check in the wardrobe?" And I said, "Yeah, of course I can." So I said, "Are you happy for me to open your wardrobe?" And he said, "Yes." So I opened the wardrobe, and I said, "I, I don't think she's in here." Um, and he said, "No, no, no, she's not in there. Shut the wardrobe." And I said, "So we've checked your room. Um, is there anywhere else that you think she might be in here?" And he said. Or I'm not sure, what do you think? And I said, well, would you like me to check under the bed? And he said, oh, yeah, yeah, that's a good idea. So I got down on my hands and knees and I'm checking under the bed. And I said, I'm pretty sure she's not under here, Bob. And he's like, oh, okay, well, maybe she'll be in later. And I said, I, you know what, I think she will. So I said, Great. what would you like to do now? And he said, oh, can we go back? So I wheeled him back to the lounge room, put his brakes back on. We did the class. He didn't mention his wife once more. Um, you know, the, the other residents were, were calmer because he wasn't yelling out every two minutes, I want my wife, where's my wife? And, you know, it, for that five, it probably took me four minutes um, of me, enter, like he said, entering his reality uh, and just, yeah, you know, giving comfort in it's helpful to him and that's something that's come up is you know we as humans as nice humans we like to be helpful but sometimes we assume what the help is um right. and we need to ask the person would you like help and once we know yes we would like they would like help what is that help that you actually need because what right. i think is helpful might not be what you want as help exactly yeah. So yeah, yeah, it's uh that was such a beautiful story. It just <laughs> it really just it just made my heart smile to 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 hear you hanging out. With, oh look, um, I've had the opposite where I've I've arrived and someone's been agitated and stressed and and I've said, you know, Joyce, what's up? And she's like, My daughter's my daughter's on the train, she's coming here for lunch. And I said, Oh, that's nice. She's like, Yeah, but she's late. I think something bad's happened. And I said, Oh, that's you know, that's no good. What like what can I do? And she said, your husband, who she's never met, um, your husband, I said, yeah. She said, he works on the trains, doesn't he? And I said, he does. And she said, do you think you could call him and see if he's seen her? So I said, yeah, of course. So I literally walked around the corner. I walked back. She said, did you call him? And I said, yes. She said, and I'm like, where's the line between lying and right? Yeah. This is a part um, of it, yeah. yeah. <laughs> because it's, it goes against 
human nature to lie to that extent. She said, did you speak to him? And I said, yes. And she said, oh, he's seen my daughter, hasn't he? And I said, I think he has. And she's on her way. She'll be here later. And, I, you know, I know that her daughter is going to visit later. So it was just, and that was it. She was, she was comforted. She felt better. She was definitely less agitated. Um, I, I, I must admit that I did have that kind of, am I lying? Have I crossed the line? Am I making stuff up to make her feel better? Because that kind of goes against what we do in day-to-day life when we're not dealing with someone with dementia. So what's your thoughts on that? Well, that's interesting, right? Because like there are lies we tell children too, you yeah. know, when they're like, mommy, what are you drinking? And, you know, you're like, this is my mom juice, <laughs> um, you know, or like sometimes you don't tell kids about that somebody died or how they died, you know, depending on how old they are. Um, you know, everybody lies to their kids about Santa. Um, not a lie. (laughs) (laughs) Um, sorry, spoiler alert. Um, (laughs) but it feels different. I don't know. It, It feels different when I do that with my mom, I mean, a lot of the lies I have to tell with my mom, um, she has primary progressive aphasia. So it affects the temporal lobe, which is like the language speaking executive functioning part, but she also has a lot of behavioral issues. So one, I'm like, it's weird to lie to my mom. Yeah. You know, I mean, that's like, we all probably did it in high school. Um, but like, you know, you're not supposed to lie to your parents. Right. And it's kind of normal to lie to kids. Right. Like, you know, we, we just can't tell them everything because they can't yeah. understand it yet or they're going to be yeah. upset. And while that is similar with dementia, like you, they're going to be upset or we can't tell them everything. Um, it just it feels different to be standing there talking to a full grown adult human um, when they be- they're believing that someone who's been dead for 20 years is alive and and just l- lying to them. It, it just it's a very weird, unnatural circumstance to be in. It's it's interesting how there is a similarity there. Yeah. And. I will say that um, there's, I guess, I I do have another similarity. Um, And it has to do with boundaries. So I think that, okay, I have to back up a bit. When, like, I feel like when you become a parent, you know, that's, that becomes your life, right? Like, especially when you have babies and toddlers, like this is my life. And a lot of times when my friends that I've had for many years become parents, the conversation seems to shift to a lot more about their children. Um, and that's fine. That's normal. But um, th- I, that's a similarity for me too. Yeah. Like that, that is a similarity between parenting and caregiving. So dementia care is my life. On the rare occasion that I am able to catch up with a friend in person at a lunch or a dinner um, or t- on the phone, like I, I, they're like, what's going on in your life? I'm like, 
dementia. I mean, it's just, it's just, my mom isn't even living with me right now. Like she, she did move into a facility that she's going to be living in for a short amount of time. Um, but like, it, it's my life. It's all consuming. I'm, I'm trying to like be the part of my mom's brain that isn't working. Like I'm trying to share my brain with her. I'm trying to help her remember things and do things. Um, and so I'm, that's what I have to talk about. Um, and that's what parents do, right? They're like, I want to tell you about my baby. It's so cute and sweet and it's fun and, and it's relatable, right? Like you can talk about your babies and your kids with so many people, but you can't do that as a care partner to somebody with dementia. Like, again, it's uncomfortable. Nobody understands it. And it's depressing. Like nobody wants to, to talk about it, which I think there in lies an underlying problem we have with toxic positivity, which is a whole nother podcast. Um, <laughs> but I feel like, you know, if, if I'm on the phone with somebody or, or having dinner and I'm, and I just had a rough week or a rough day, like, I don't feel like I'm allowed to say as much as I want to say, I, I just, I just feel like they're going to be like depressed and they're not going to want to hang out with me. And I, and it's like, it's not really a fault of them for not giving me the space. It's just like I said earlier, it's a fault of society of like not knowing how to understand or deal with this. Um, you know, whereas if a parent had a rough day as a parent, they can probably find a parent that just had a rough day as yeah. a parent too, you know, yeah. and they can like bitch about their kids together and, you know, and then they can go home and love on their kids again. Um, and I feel like on the matter of interacting with people as a parent or a caregiver, there, there are boundaries. There are, there are just unwritten yeah. boundaries and there are boundaries that you have to draw. And um, I feel like sharing my life with dementia, my journey with dementia has alienated me from friends and family members that I've been close with for a long time. And it, it's maybe because it's depressing to talk to me or maybe it's because I've drawn boundaries, but I've found that this is proven over and over that is when people criticize my decisions that I make for my mom living with dementia, um, or they want to give me their unkind, unprompted opinions when they have no idea what it's like to walk a day in my shoes. Um, you know, I have to draw a boundary. Like yeah. I can't hear that. I, that's harmful to my mental health and I need to stay focused on my mom. Um, and you know, the relationship that I am still lucky to have with my husband. Yeah. Um, but you would, and, and I find that as I draw the boundaries, it only isolates me even more. Yeah. Um, cause people are like, butt hurt and offended and mad at me that I said, I didn't want their opinion. Yeah. Or, or that I, or that I say, okay, great. Thanks for your opinion. What I actually need is this. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then they, and then they get pissed off at me, yeah. but it's crazy to me because there's this unwritten boundary rule 
Um, like you would never say to another parent or as a childless person, you would never say, I don't think you're doing what's best for your child. <laughs> I mean, can you imagine if somebody said that to you? Like yeah. I'm thinking of my besties that have beautiful children. And if somebody said that to them, like, I'm just like watching them bust ass. Like I'm yeah. just watching them beat someone up for some reason. Like, <laughs> You know, they're understandably the parent is like, you have no idea what's going on in my house. You don't know what my child's needs are. There, there's no way you you're qualified to say what's best for my child when you when I am the only possible person who could yeah. know what's best for them. Yeah. But for some reason, that is perfectly acceptable to say to a care partner or a caregiver. And I will tell you, Emma, it is said so frequently. People I mean, telling you what you should be doing. Right. I mean, uh, like uh, probably every caregiver friend I have on Instagram has a friend or family member who has said to them, like, I don't think you should do that. Or why are you doing that? Or doesn't make sense. You know, your mom is fine. Or why would you say that about your mom? She did this and was perfectly fine on Tuesday. And, you know, they just constantly doubt you and your own lived experiences. Yeah. You would never do that to a parent. I mean, of course, there are some assholes who, you know, cross the line yeah. and will yeah. say that. But for the most part, like it's an unwritten rule. You don't parent somebody else's child mm. um, and you don't parent the parent of somebody else's child. Um, and it is just so incredibly hurtful and harmful to a caregiver when they are, especially like millennial caregivers, you know, we're in our prime or gen, gen X. I mean, like we're getting our education or starting in our careers or making a career move or just having children or raising young children. And like we're caring for our parents in our 60s and 70s, you know, when there's people in their 60s and 70s caring for their 90 year old parents. Yeah. yeah. Um, and for someone who spends like the amount of time that I've spent with my mom, like 35 years of my life, I've known my mom and interacted with her in all ways. Um, like I know my mom and I yeah. know my mom now. And yeah. you don't know my mom. Like no one knows my mom like I do. I am an only child and I'm the only one who could know how she's coping with life these days yeah. because I see her the most. Yeah. And it's the same with you being a parent to your, to your girls. You don't, no one knows your girls yeah. better than you. And when caregivers are giving up what they are to be caregivers, and spending the amount of time and energy that they're doing that they are and also simultaneously watching their loved one decline before yeah. their eyes to have someone say you're not doing what's best for your mom is the worst possible thing you could say to a caregiver yeah but why do people think that's okay um i know that's like a really heavy way no <laughs> i think it's great i think it's really important and it actually got me just thinking about there's like a you know how you get those chain facebook posts where it's like you know it might be about 
there's one about dementia, you know, dementia is this, that and the other. If you really care, share this on your timeline. Mm -hmm. And I love love how you're like half smiling (laughs) because to me, uh, look, those people have got great intentions, right? They, they probably haven't experienced uh, an experience that like you're going through or, you know, the other caregivers of people with dementia are going through and their intentions are are genuine. I don't think they're sharing it to, to you know, be nasty. It's, it's for the right reason. Right. But to me, it, it would make more sense for them to go to, a, a page like yours or, you know, a support group or to Dementia Australia's Facebook or whatever and share articles about mm-hmm. what dementia is, what different kinds of dementia there are, you know, what some strategies of dealing with it. That's how we're going to change people's awareness and people's understanding, not by saying dementia sucks. If you care, share this with five right. um, but Do you agree? Absolutely. And, and I, I don't think that, yeah, you're right. People are best intentioned. Um, Like they think they're helping. Mm. Um, But the thing is like, you can't help until you're educated. So please Mm. educate yourself first. And I might not agree with the way somebody else is caring for their parent. Um, Or I might, think it's bogus what one of my friends is doing with their children. I'm not going to just judge them and and make a harsh statement. If I do genuinely love them and care, what I'm going to say is, that's interesting that you made that decision. Would you mind sharing a little bit more about why you've done it that way? Because that shows that I truly am interested and do care. Um, and I'm, and I'm opening a dialogue. I'm, I'm creating a space for this person to talk, which is not what people are doing when people are best intentioned, as you said, and yeah. just try to tell us how to do our job better. Mm. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there, therein lies awareness. Yeah. yeah. Amazing. I feel like we've covered so much and it's been like, I've had so many goosebumpy moments. So thank you. <laughs> Um, and like, you know, thank you, obviously, thank you for your time because I really appreciate it. And I know and how busy you are and how much, you you know, we've just covered how busy you are and everything you've got on. And, you know, this, this is your life and it's not, it's not something that you just talk about from time to time or you just, you know, dip your toes into the water occasionally. Um, like this is, this is part of who you are in your life. So I really appreciate you, your time and talking about it. Um, I highly recommend that, you know, people follow you. So Instagram, Minding My Mother. Um, Is there anything that we haven't covered that you want to say? Is there a question I haven't asked that I should have asked? I always ask this at the end. (laughs) Um, I don't, there's, I, you, no, I think you asked all the right questions and thank you um, for having me and thank you for your time. I and, and thanks for allowing me the space to talk about this. Um, I don't know how I sounded or came off, but my entire life I've been told I come off quite boldly and intensely. Um, so I guess 
I just want to say to your listeners, to caregivers and non-caregivers that, um, um, it's just, it's not, I don't know if it sounded that terrible, like having dementia or, or, or living with dementia, but I guess, you know, I just want to make clear that life is not over with a dementia diagnosis. My mom is still independent in many ways. Um, and there's still a lot of joy that can happen. Um, it doesn't have to be stigmatized. It doesn't have to be something you're scared of. Um, there's a lot of really great resources out there. Um, the 36 hour day is like a great book for starters for anybody who wants to learn about dementia. Um, I would plug the AFTD website, the association for frontal temporal dementia. Um, they're a company out of the U S that's bringing awareness to frontal temporal dementia, which is the rarer type that can strike at strike at young ages. Um, and I guess I would just, encourage people to um you know like i said earlier be more considerate about the language we're using and um about the people who are caring for people who aren't you know the norm of school-aged children yeah Yeah. beautiful um i just love how passionate you are and and obviously you know it's it's people like yourself um that's you know, we, we're going to make sure people are educated. <laughs> we're going to talk loudly enough so that they don't have a choice. <laughs> um, but like we said earlier, it's one of those things that you don't, you actually don't know what you need to know in 10, 20, 30 years time. So, you know, if you can educate yourself about as much as possible, um, you know, it, it's great to live in the present and to, to, you know, go day to day, but let's think about the, you know, the chances of someone that you love developing some kind of dementia are fairly high. Um, just like the chances of you knowing someone that, that develops cancer are fairly high. You know, there, there, there is a high probability that at some point in your life, you're going to know someone with a form of dementia. So mild cognitive impairment at the uh, least. Yeah, exactly. So educate yourself because it's going to happen. And, and why wait till you're in that situation? And as we said before, it's emotional, it's stressful, you're overwhelmed, you, you're in fight or flight mode. And at that point, you're not wanting to sit down and read a book and educate yourself then. So have that um, knowledge ready so that you can just, you know, whip it out of your back pocket when you need it and, and you know, you go, oh, okay. Um, and, you know, that is going to be developing your brain and helping strengthen your brain and, and your neural pathways in the process if you're learning. Um, right. So, you know. And there are people, there. I've seen this on Instagram, there are people promoting this idea of a dementia friend. And that's just being a member of the community who doesn't know anybody directly with dementia, um, but just creating dementia-friendly spaces. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, just like we've created safe spaces for breastfeeding mothers and safe spaces for people with disabilities, you know, restaurants where the staff get some sort of training on dementia um, so that they 
I saw I saw an Instagram page in Singapore where the staff is all people with dementia. And yeah. so there are people who are t- taking orders and they don't remember what your order was. And then you just eat what they ordered for you. And it's, it's I love fabulous, it. right? I love like, that. Including these people yeah. in our community, in our yeah. everyday lives. I mean, it's not a normal part of aging, dementia, which is something to point out. Yeah. But it, it, like you said, it also is very real. Like we've got the baby boomer generation coming up in their 60s yeah. and 70s, like we've got major dementia potential coming on. And um, just being a dementia friend and, and being educated about it is helpful. I love that. That's that's giving me goosebumps again. There's a there's an aged care facility here in like in Queensland where it's a, a dementia village. Um, and it's set up as a village. There's streets. They've got, you know, they've got the hairdresser and they've got the beauty salon and they've got a, a music studio and all those kind of things. And the cafe that the residents can just walk to um, and that, that every every cottage has a, a different address and they've got their mailbox so they can go out, in, you know, similar to living in their own homes. Right. Uh, and the cafe is open to the public so the residents can go in uh, and order their coffee and the, the local community, you know, the mums and bubs, you know, groups can go and have their coffee there and everyone's sitting together having their coffee and interacting. Um, Halloween, they do all the cottages up with, you know, for trick-or-treat and the local community walk around and do their trick-or-treat, but, the you know, everyone's safe. Um, they can go in the shop and they can they can buy what they want, but, it, you know, they're not actually buying it. It's included in their, you know, their costs and fees. So it... It's That's happening, beautiful. but it's just needs to happen faster. Yeah. Anyway, we could talk for hours. <laughs> yeah. So. so once again, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. And and thank you for, for what you're doing and and you know, educating and and you know what you're doing for your for your mum and the community because it's people like you that make a difference. So thank you. Thanks. You too, Emma. My name's Emma. I'm from The Daisy Chain and thank you so much for listening to The Daisy Chain Podcast. If you'd like more information, please visit our website, www.thedaisychain.com. You can also visit our Facebook or Instagram page. 